was hoping he was going to do that. Hey there, welcome to Chicken Space. This is episode nine, and I am looking forward here in the middle of summer to giving you an update on the farm, walking you around, uh, just checking in with those uh, chickens, those new babies that are now grown up, ready almost to start laying. Some surprise uh, hatch of new chicks, how the turkeys are doing. And uh, then again, some more reflections on healing, some experiences with different people hoping that that's uh, something that might be useful to you in the hearing of it, either for yourself or for people you know. So glad you're here with us this week and looking forward to uh, sharing some time with you now. Thanks for coming to Chicken Space. Again, there's always more information at icemethod.com for the healing work and manyspokes.com for the farm. Thanks a lot. It's a hard road that I Welcome to Chicken Space again. This is episode nine. Glad you're back. And uh, starting out this morning, I fed the chickens. I collected their eggs. They laid lots of eggs this morning. And uh, it's July, middle of July, late July. And we had rain this morning. We had rain a few days ago. We got clouds in the sky. Very unusual for Eastern Washington. It's usually bright very dry very clear and uh sometimes there's forest fires or wildfires starting this time of year but this morning after all these chores i'm off to get actually one of the main reasons that i got these chickens in the first place which is their manure uh, for the garden i planted some dry corn some blue corn and then also some uh, corn that you make pasole out of and uh it has super super large ears like or, or kernels that are probably more than half an inch, maybe even three quarters of an inch in size. Anyway, planted these and they came up and they're turning yellow, which typically means they don't have enough nitrogen. So anyway, that's back to the manure. And now shoveling some up, very noisy in here with all you chickens, but that's a good thing. That means you're laying eggs. And um, thought we'd just spend a little bit of time here on the farm this morning, catching you up um, on what's going on with the happy hands. The little baby chicks that we got back in February, they, you can tell uh, who they are because their feathers are a little bit darker and a little bit, they're a little bit more like shiny, not so, they're a little bit less mature. Some of them actually have uh, really yellow legs. When they start laying eggs, uh, that drops away and they turn uh, much, much blonder, lighter. Um, some people say it's because that color whatever that chemical is all ends up in the yolks. So, got our 850 or 870 chickens out there now, laying their eggs. The new ones have maybe a couple of them have started. And my goal, our goal is to get them all up onto the new land, the cherry orchard we cleared um, before they start laying. And yesterday we completed all the getting ready uh, to make that move. So now we just have to pick a date, a night, uh, and do that. <clears throat> and going to do it at night because, interesting thing to know, very useful thing to know if you got chickens, they can't see at night. So if you try to catch a chicken in the daytime, very hard thing to do. Try to catch a chicken at night, they can't even see. So when you put your hand on them and they cluck because then they know something's there. But uh, anyway, that's a 
why we're gonna do it at night. One time we tried moving some chickens during the day and Ann and I spent a couple hours at it. We got so frustrated. We came back in the evening, the chickens came exactly back to the place where the roost had been. We'd moved their, uh, their house probably oh, 100 yards or so and they didn't follow over there. They went back to the exact place where there were rows of raspberry bushes and they jumped up in the raspberries to sleep right next to where they'd been. So we didn't even have to lean over to pick them up. Just brought them right over to the, uh, the new place. So we're hoping the move will go well. We've got two new houses that each hold about 500 chickens, a bunch of laying boxes. We got the water working up there. I talked about that earlier. Our livestock guardian dogs will move up there with them. And uh, we're excited about all of that. Turkeys are getting bigger. For some reason, lost a turkey last week. That happens sometimes. And I have no idea what happened to that turkey, if it was, uh, if it got an illness or, or what happened. But anyway, we still have 13 heritage breed turkeys. Some black ones, some tan ones, dusty brown ones. And then there's a beautiful white one left. Yeah, there was another white one, but that's the one that died. So, so that's the scoop on the turkeys. I told you about Buffy the rooster that we got, this guy that was too loud for town. Well, he continues to look like the cutest little rooster. He's like a little kid the way he hops around. He jumps up on stuff, and then he jumps off and runs around. I don't get to catch him anymore. He's too wily for that. But he's taking up his mating duties. And so you see him kind of doing that work once in a while. And he's still living outside of the fence. There's another rooster there, maybe five or six hens. Even when you put them back, either they jump over or they're waiting for the moment that you open the fence and they scoot through, come back out in the grass. So who can blame them for that? But pretty soon at night, when we move all the rest of them, we'll take them up to the new place too. And then we'll see if they stay inside there or not. And all right, I'm coming over to the corn. And a few days ago, two days ago actually only, uh, they, they were really yellow, so they were really nitrogen starved. Um, they're in a place where the soil is poor. I had put compost on top, but the roots must be down below that. Um, they're on drip irrigation. Anyway, super yellow. Two days ago, I, I mixed up some compost with water, made a compost tea, and put it on. And wow, they look so much better today. So I'm going to give them another dose of, this time, um, chicken manure. I'm going to put a bunch of water in it, make them another tea, pour that on, and I take another look in a couple days. But that is always amazes me how quickly fertilizer um, takes action on plants that are in need. And we actually uh, planted them in amongst our new vineyard that's a couple years old because vineyard is very casual thing and we already have drip irrigation in there so in between our beautiful wine grapes we've got corn growing probably one of the few vineyards around here that's got corn in the vineyard um, but this is going to be the first year that we get a harvest of grapes and that's exciting I'm looking at them right now they look like they're coming along really well there's uh, Chardonnay, Tempranillo, Syrah, Pinot Noir, Movedra, 
Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, and one with a C that I can't remember. What is the name of that? It'll come back. Anyway, pretty fun. We got about probably a total of a little over 100 uh, vines that are, that are growing. All right, I'm back. I was gonna have you help me uh, fertilize all those corn plants. They're definitely looking better after putting the compost tea on them a couple days. But then I got a call that I'd been expecting for a while. Uh, someone had <clears throat> recommended uh, the ice method to someone else and they were having a lot of anxiety and in fact even um, feeling suicidal at times. And uh, the person that suggested, well, why don't you at least give it a try? Uh, calling over and talking to Lars about the ice method. And so we had a wonderful hour and was inspiring for the person who was I was talking to. The person said, yeah, I think this could actually change my life. I'm going to give it a go. And it was inspiring for me um, to be able to share something that can so simply and so predictably uh, remove uh, neutralize stored upsets in our life. And uh, I showed him the method in just a few minutes of um, turning off our stress response by paying attention to space that has nothing in it. That when the stress response, or when we are paying attention to nothing, there is nothing for the stress response to respond to, and so it turns off. It is that simple. <laughs> I used to help a lot of people with fibromyalgia and in this book, Figuring Out Fibromyalgia, the uh, author, a doctor said, every, every symptom of fibromyalgia comes down to the stress response being turned on and stuck in the on position. And she wrote, I think this is pretty much a direct quote, unfortunately, oh, I'm doing weeding in the garden now, so if you hear that, sound that's me pulling out weeds and you know what if you can hear weeds being pulled out they are embarrassingly too big they should have been pulled out a long time ago but anyway this quote she said unfortunately medical science doesn't know how to turn off the stress response when they figure that out we'll have a solution to fibromyalgia stress is uh response to our awareness. If our awareness is in a place that we consider stressful, we get a stress response. If our awareness is in a place that we don't consider stressful, that we consider calm, then our stress response turns off. If we put our attention in a place that has nothing, there's nothing to respond to, and the stress response turns off. And according to this author, figuring out fibromyalgia, Fibromyalgia would be uh, no longer existing for a person. And I did help a lot of people to have no fibromyalgia pain. So anyway, it was wonderful to work with this person and we'll be staying in touch. I'll be checking in and uh, it's great. This person saying, gosh, it's so simple. I understand it. I think it has the potential really to give me um, some relief for the things that I've been anxious about um, and that have caused me such you know, such uh, pain in my life. So, 
Anyway, that was exciting. And then a couple days ago, somebody had heard about Suzanne who had that level nine back pain and contacted me and said, that sounds really interesting because I have on occasion intense back pain. And so working with that person too this week, really nice to be able to do this work while weeding the garden and picking blueberries and raspberries and putting chicken manure on corn. And this person was pretty sure that their back pain uh, was genetic. Most of this person's family members uh, were having back pain, severe back pain issues in their life. And so um, it would be a reasonable explanation that it was a genetic or an inherited feature of um, this family's back structures. So we've just started to do the work, but like that other person I was talking about last week who had um, the back pain, was pretty sure it was because of some associated foot pain. Um, it's like, yeah, maybe it's mechanical, but it's also possible that if we turn off the stress response, then the body can have an experience of reduced or even no pain in response um, to this thing that previously was causing uh, severe pain. So I was telling you about that person that I was talking to in the parking lot last week about that back pain. And I saw that person again, they got the phone number so I could check in. And it went like this. First time it was, yeah, I got this back pain and I see what you're saying. And I do feel calmer when I see that space between that has nothing in it, but I still get the back pain. And we'll play with it. Next time, you know, I've got less back pain. And I said, well, give me a couple minutes. The person said, okay. And so, uh, I mean, we might as well do it right now so you have the chance to do it for yourself because whether you got pain or not, it's always kind of a, well, I think, it's a good, good place to live out of. And you simply see something and say, I see that ponderosa pine, top of that ponderosa pine over there. You say that out loud, whatever you see. And then you say, I see the space between myself and the top of that ponderosa pine. And when you see that space, you're seeing space that has nothing in it and you're becoming a response to nothing. And if you do that three times, like this person that I was visiting today, a while back earlier in the day who had all the stress and anxiety and even suicidal thoughts, so wow, my heart feels more calm. My heart rate went down and my stomach feels better. So I see the corner of that shed over there and I see the space between myself and the corner of the shed. And even though I do this a lot, even though my life is pretty much out of calm, I can feel that calm deepening. Even as I say this right now, uh, with you. I invite you to choose that second point. Do it. And then a third point. I see the new raspberry transplant. And I see the space between myself and the raspberry plant. And so for this person that I was dealing with this morning, and for the person that I dealt with earlier with the back, it was like, yeah, okay. I said, well, what's the back pain number? Well, it's going down. 
said, okay, so just pay attention to your back now. What is it about your back that you're aware of? And I forget what it was now, it was a while back. <clears throat> and we went back and forth like a pendulum between paying attention to what wasn't calm, what showed up when you inquired, when you identified, and then back and forth to the space that had nothing in it. And as I've said before, I call this the ice method. When you're, when you're in the awareness of the upset, you're identifying it. Get on the pendulum, bring yourself out to a calm space. And then you swing the pendulum back to the exact same place where that upset was. And you neutralize or replace, or technically, you reconsolidate the original memory in a different way. You reconsolidate the memory such it has different emotional content stored with it. The emotion of calm. And checked in with the person, he said, I don't have any back pain now. How'd you tell? I still have toe pain. Got the person's number, because I didn't know if I was gonna see a person again in the parking lot. And I just kept checking in. And back pain didn't return. And then uh, it was actually just this morning. I called while uh, I was getting ready this morning and it's like, no, I don't have any toe pain either. That's all gone. There's a person who, um, you know, a week ago was pretty sure that it mechanically caused because something had dropped or had an injury to that toe earlier and resulting in toe pain and then eventually this uh, back pain. So we'll stay in touch, we'll see how that goes. And then this person who called me with their uh, incredible intense back pain, they were sure, um, were pretty sure, was a family issue, genetics, doing the same exact thing. You see the space and then you see the issue. And there was a sadness about the back and what this person was missing in their life because of the back pain. And there was definitely a fear of uh, what kind of impact it was going to have on their life. And if it was this bad now, how bad was it going to be? And there was definitely an anger. Like, why me? Why do I get this in my life? And we started paying attention to these, and it was a just a introduction, it was a limited time that we had for this call. But I'm gonna check in with that person too. Or they're gonna check in with me. And we'll just keep reconsolidating, putting memories back together, opening up stressed memories and putting them back together from a calm state. And you do that by identifying the upset, you identify what's not calm about the situation. And then you move into a calm state. I see the space between whatever it is and myself. Your attention on nothing, nothing to respond to. Stress has nothing to be on for. Stress turns off. And then you bring your awareness from this calm state back into the state that was upset. And as I was telling the person this morning, I said, you know, it's really easy to forget that because you feel pretty good in that calm state. 
why would you want to go back to the upset? Well, the reason is so it can neutralize, so it can reconsolidate. Because if you don't go back to it in your awareness, then that memory will store back down in the same way it has been ever since it first stored. So if it's a memory that causes you anger, it's going to basically glue back down, lock down into place in a period of four to six hours with the emotion of anger again, just like it has every single time. That's why you can feel the emotion in a memory the same way each time you come back to it. If you've ever had a car accident and you go back to the same corner where that accident happened and you put your awareness back in the accident, you're probably going to feel some of that same emotion. You can reconsolidate that. On the other hand, if you're with a friend and you're talking, you drive by that corner and your mind doesn't go back to the accident. You just stay in that conversation with your friend. It's engaging enough. You drive by without your awareness going back into the accident. You're not going to have any um, upset emotions arise. You're not going to have any uh, upset bodily reactions happening. Um, because your awareness didn't go there. So if you want to reconsolidate something, you need to put your awareness where the accident was, the upset, the difficult memory. And then, in short order, you need to take your awareness out of it into a space where your stress response is off. And then you can use that body state, that chemistry, that uh, physiology of that moment and you can replace the upset emotion. You take your awareness back to the corner where the accident happened, back into the feelings of it, and you're gonna reconsolidate whatever it is that you had activated when you first paid attention to it. And an accident, a car accident, is a pretty good example for understanding how this works. Now your first emotion might be anger, or I'm sorry, it might be fear. You know, there's that moment of shock when you realize, oh, that car is going to hit you. Or you're not going to be able to stop in time, whatever it is. And if you let yourself pay attention to that fear response, you know, maybe you feel it in your gut. And it's about whatever it was about. I can't stop in time, or that car's going to hit me, they're not seeing me. And whatever it is, when you pay attention to that, you identify it. A lot of times we don't even want to do that. We don't go, want to go back into that memory. But that's what activates it on a neurological, biological level. And because it's activated, your body responds to it. That's why your stomach hurts or your back tightens up or your jaw clenches or whatever it is. And so then you want, I mean, if you stay in that state, then you stay in that state until the next thing happens. And because you don't reconsolidate, it glues back down the same way. And year after year, you go by that corner and you still feel this tensing in your stomach every time you go by when your attention is on that accident. Alternative to that, you can take your awareness out to a space where your stress response turns off. Conveniently, a space between you and anything that has nothing in it. And once you've done that, you don't have to stay there long. All you have to do is have your awareness go there. And like I've said before, a thousand different chemical reactions happen between the stress state and the calm state. And so once you get in this calm state, by just seeing space, that's all it takes. Just see the space. 
once you get in that calm state, for as small a time as you want, then you bring your attention back to the accident, back to that emotion of fear because the person's not seeing you and they're going to hit you and you see then what you notice this time. And what happens inside of you and your brain and your body, your nervous system on the synaptic level is you reconsolidate, you replace with calm whatever you activated. So now about, and this is what I, why I wanted to use the car accident, about that image of the person who didn't see you and they're going to hit you, you check and it's like, oh, that feels calm. But I don't feel completely calm. It's just that that piece of the memory now feels calm, but something else has come up. Like, I'm really angry that that person isn't seeing me. Now, why didn't you notice that the first time around? Why? Because you're just like trying to save your life, and there's this fear response. And now when that's reconsolidated, then you can notice whatever arises next. And there's this anger that that person, you know, they're looking the other way. You can see them looking the other way and they're not seeing you and they're going to hit you and you're just angry that they're not paying attention to what they're doing as a driver. And you feel that in your jaw and you feel that in your shoulder like you want to hit them. And you just feel whatever you feel without judgment. You don't try to be nice in this stage like, oh, I should feel this. Well, that doesn't do anything. That's just the work of making something up. No, this is actually paying attention to accessing and activating what you actually feel. So I'm making all this up, but it's a good example. It's a good example for this guy with the back pain. It's a good example for this guy who's feeling suicidal. So now you've noticed anger. You've noticed you're clenching your jaw. You notice your shoulders are tightened up like you want to punch the person. What do you do? That was the identify stage. ICE is three letters. Super simple, you just have to do them all. The next stage, take your awareness into a space that has nothing in it. Become a response to nothing, and your stress response, which was responding to the accident, now starts responding to nothing, and it turns off, because there's nothing to turn it on. There's no reason for it to be on in response to anything. It can happen as quickly as I'm talking to you. This transition from stress on, to stress off. Okay, you can turn off your stress response. Naturally, you're not even turning off. Turn it, you aren't even turning it off. It just turns off. Why? Because you stopped paying attention to the thing that had stress in it. You started paying attention to something that has nothing in it. Now it's off. And this is, feels so good that a lot of people don't ever want to do the third step. And when I ask if I've been working with people, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm icing. Why, are you going back and doing exchange? Uh, no. And it makes sense that you wouldn't, right? Why, if you've been dealing with an upset and now you can get to this calm state so quickly, so predictably, why would you want to leave it? Well, the reason is so you can actually neutralize forever the upset that was stored. You can actually replace it with the chemistry of calm that you're feeling right now. But you gotta go back to do that. Otherwise, the upset remains stored and you gotta keep coming back to this calm state to get away from it. If you replace it, you replace it and the memory of the accident, the feeling of anger 
of wanting to hit that person who's not looking at you. You can now go back to that experience and it doesn't turn off your stress response because the neurobiology of that memory, the neural network is now stored, reconsolidated with the emotion of calm. That's pretty incredible. So you do that, you go back and you check the anger. Maybe there's another component of the anger. It's like, geez, people haven't passed a cell phone law yet in this state or whatever. You go back and forth. Maybe after the anger is gone, like, oh, then this incredible sadness comes over you. And that too can be reconsolidated. You realize, gosh, I'm sad because really for two months I ended up in the hospital and I missed my daughter's volleyball games this past summer and I still can't go hiking. I won't be able to go hiking in the woods for another half a year probably before I get through all the physical therapy. Where do you feel that? Well, there's this just heaviness in your heart and your whole body. Well, now you activated that neural network and you can hang on to it if you want or if you want to be calm in the presence of that reality, you do the other two letters of ice out to the calm space. I see this blueberry bush that I'm picking blueberries on right now. And I see the space between myself and this blueberry plant. I see the row of tomatoes over there that I need to go prune. And I see, my, see the space between myself and the tomato plants. I see that top of that ponderosa pine again. And I see the space between myself and the top of that ponderosa pine. That's the C part of calm. Now, now we've done two of the letters, two of the three steps that allow us to reconsolidate and neutralize upset memories so that they no longer turn on our stress response. Third step, go back to that sadness feeling. Go back to the memory of missing your daughter's volleyball games. Go back to the memory of knowing right now that you can't go hiking yet because you're still in physical therapy. Let that reconsolidate. See what's next. At some point, you will be able to drive by the scene of that accident, paying complete and total attention to it, in a state of complete and total calm. Even though you're still going to physical therapy, you're walking with a limp, and you're wishing you were out backpacking like you'd been last summer. So, that's what I'm getting to do with some people this week, and it's an incredible honor and incredible privilege to be able to do that. Um, and the cool thing is, I'm able to do that all while I'm being a chicken farmer. It feels very, very nice to do that. All right, so anyway, that's what I have to report on the chicken front. Now that's what I have to report on the healing front. And I wish you were here with me picking blueberries. Uh, we've gotten from the first variety, which were awesome, to this second variety, which are awesomer. The flavor, I like it even more than the first ones, and I thought the first ones were just outstanding. Plus, on these, they look like small berries until the very last day or two, and then they just plump out. They double or they, maybe they even triple in volume. And so they're nice, big berry, really beautiful. And uh, I did make creme brulee last night. So tonight, when I go home, I think it's going to be creme brulee with blueberries on it. 
which makes me think how happy I am start at the farm some years ago or garden at least and learn about all this I didn't know much about gardening when I started and I remember that first spring when we were planting seeds I was kind of had this really those are really gonna come up you just put them in the ground water them and they're gonna come up and what and what a complete novice <laughs> still enjoy laughing at myself and in the process of learning um, to just be in love with the ground and what comes from it and then eventually now learning to be in love with these chickens and and staying close to where food comes from um, I go in all these stores and I get all this leftover food to feed the chickens and you know I see all the food on the shelves and it's like yeah it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's actually really really nice to be out here and see the plants whose roots go down into the ground and we need to water them and fertilize them with chicken manure and all that stuff to be able to get this food to eat and it sure does take a lot of time so feel very blessed to have that time and now actually to be having these chickens that are getting close to um, earning us a living a few more batches of chicks and uh, we should should be at that point where um, if all goes well actually making a living as a farmer which is an increasingly special thing to be able to do <laughs> it's not very easy um, to make it as a farmer, which reminds me, I was talking to somebody uh, a week ago and they were telling me about one of their best friends who is a farmer and a really good farmer. And what he said was, you know, I, I think he told me with a CSA and all the different things he does, his income is like $18,000 a year, which here in the United States is not a heck of a lot to raise a single person on or in this person's case to raise a family on so his wife is working off of the farm to make it all work and there's a kind of a craziness to that that you can't hardly make a living as a person on a farm growing food for people so the whole move towards corporate agriculture and turning into commodity and making a living and I actually understand that more now that I'm out here trying to make it as a one-person operation. Now whatever you can do to make it generate something that provides a living for you, it's easy to see how how that's tempting you know or how how that push towards commodification can happen how chickens can end up in little square cages living their whole life in those cages pumping out eggs eating food and making poop and their whole life is down to the whatever the tiny dimensions of that cage are but that produces a lot of eggs for a lot of people at a very low cost like my eggs they, they retail you know, these are completely homegrown 
eggs retail at $7 a dozen. And here in the summer, we can't keep the shelves full. And down below, so ours sit on the top shelf, of course, right? But down below, on the bottom shelf, dozen eggs, sometimes when the prices are right, you can buy them for 99 cents. There's a whole lot of mechanization and optimization, commodification that goes on to make something like that happen. And it's nice that food can be produced that cheaply. I get it actually more and more. It's really nice that we're getting close to, like if everything works out, conceivably making our living right here from the land. And people getting and appreciating the value of eggs that are produced locally like this, that are produced completely from collected food, the variety of nutrition that the chickens get, the landfill space that's saved, the farm space that doesn't have to be devoted to growing chicken feed for these chickens. Like people are getting that and they're, they're um, willing to give $7 for a dozen eggs to be a part of that experience. And of course, they're fantastic eggs. Those yolks, they just stand up. And they're so orange and they taste so good. And there was one day in the last couple of years where I just got too much of a hurry and I didn't have a chance to get eggs for breakfast. But every single other day since our chickens started laying eggs, I've had eggs for breakfast. That's definitely a nice treat bonus from having these chickens. All right, well, I'm over in the raspberry patch now. The cats are with me helping out. I haven't really heard them yet, so I can't share the sound with you. But I think that's what I got for right now. I'm sure I'll be back with another little chunk before I send this over to the That Matters group. They're doing such a nice job of putting these podcasts together for me, and they're letting me know that it's actually folks that are listening to this. So thank you very much for like making this a part of your day, the chance to be with you. It's fun to think there's people I don't know who are listening to this. It's also really fun to think of some of you who are good friends, who are letting me know that you've, you've enjoyed um, listening to me talking to you while we're picking raspberries. All right, so about that matters group, um, if you happen to be a person who's interested in doing or making podcasts for something that you're involved in i'm sure finding them to be um, super helpful with advice and interestingly um, kent who started the company um, i have done ice method with him when we were talking and he said you know the the biggest challenge i'm facing in terms of having people like enter into this experience he said is a lot of people are just um there's an anxiety around hitting that record button and making a podcast about sharing their voice and their ideas. Yeah, I said, you know, all that ice stuff we've done, I said, I could make you a podcast you could share about, about bringing uh, speaking anxiety or performance anxiety, bringing it to calm so that you can operate um, from a calm space while you're recording your podcast. So I made those over the last couple days and sent them over and it was just kind of a neat thing to do. How would you do it? Like you know by now, it's the exact same thing. 
you imagine um, getting your little microphone set up and you imagine pressing the button on the podcast and you imagine starting to speak and at each point you just notice what you notice. Notice whatever it is that is not the feeling of calm. If you can go through all that, make your podcast and hit the stop record button and send it off to That Matters or wherever you make your podcast and it's completely anxiety free, well, you're good to go. But if anywhere along the process, you know, oh gosh, imagining that this person is going to hear what I say and I get, uh, you know, I get anxious about that. Well, is that iceable? Absolutely. You just pay attention to like, what's my feeling? If this person listens to what I say. Anger, fear, sadness, something else. Do you get a feeling in your body when you notice that? Well, you just identified it. How many more letters do you have to do? You just did I, got two more. Gotta do calm and exchange. I see the space between myself and this beautiful red raspberry. So you're out in the place where your stress response turns off. And then you bring your attention, your awareness, back to the emotion that you feel when you think of this person, this particular person, hitting play and listening to your podcast. So in your mind, in your awareness, you can just do all the steps of making this podcast. You reconsolidate anything that's other than the feeling of calm. And then in actuality, when you've done that process, you will be able to make a podcast from a state of calm instead of from a state of anxiety. So that was nice to make a couple little um, clips for Kent to check out and he can make some suggestions and I can make it better and use it. But that's another good feeling, just being able to apply this ice method to different situations. All right, that's all for now. I got a bunch more raspberries to pick. Wish you were here to eat some of them, getting towards the end of the season for the berries here. All right, back in a bit. Bye-bye. All right, so that's a ninth episode, already nine different times. Uh, put this podcast together to share and thank you so much for uh, joining in and making it a part of your day whatever you're doing whether you're driving or raising your own flock of chickens or involved in your own healing work or whatever it's been so thanks a lot for sharing the time again there's always more information over at uh, the website about healing icemethod.com and then our website about the farm manyspokes.com all right, good wishes for the week. I look forward to coming back next week and sharing more time with you. Bye-bye. I wonder will you hold me?